0: You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. You know, in recent days, I've personally been really impacted by what's called being called the Asbury Awakening or Revival. How many of you have heard of that? Just show me your hand real quick. Okay, and no judgment if you've not heard of it, but show me your hands if you've, you don't even know what I'm talking about, Asbury, well, never heard of it, okay. If you Google it, what you'll find is these college, these college students in, at a little school, Asbury University in Kentucky, just started their chapel services worshiping and they kept worshiping like 24-7, and people from all over the world started flying in to be a part of it, and now it's spreading all over this country right now. It could be the most significant movement of God that we've seen in this generation. And so I would encourage you to Google it and look into it. But when it started, my wife Jeannie and I and our daughter, we were, we were kind of prompted to, to go to Kentucky and be a part of it, you know, and experience God there. For ourselves. And um, next week, I'm going to talk more about that, quite frankly, because I really need more time to just process what I experienced there and the ramifications for my life and you know our church and the like. But suffice it to say that I asked the Lord while I was there to allow us to bring revival, like real spiritual revival back here to our little church in downtown San Antonio. And my sense is, is that part of our role is to steward the presence of God among us, because we're one of those churches that we like our things to be organized and we like to have our set list of what we're going to do lined out. But when the presence of God is here, we have to learn to submit ourselves and the agenda and uh, everything, including our lives and these services to him. And so that's why like today, every service has been different. And so I don't know what's going to happen next, but I do know that the best we know how we're trying to submit the order of everything here to God's agenda. And one of the things that we saw last week is that, um, you know, God started breaking out and moving last week and reviving people here. And after the last service, a guy came up to me and he said, hey, you know, God got of me today. And so I'm going to give up meth. And he said, God told me to give you my meth pipe. And he brought he gave it, to. I brought a picture of that meth pipe that a dude from church and service gave to me. Thank the Lord, he gave it to me. And I was gonna keep it as like a little trophy of grace. But then a couple of friends of mine that are former meth addicts said, Pastor Doug, that's like drug paraphernalia. You need to stomp that thing, get out of here. So in their honor, I stomped it in the name of Jesus, right? And broke it into a million pieces, you know, and it's gone forever now. But thank the Lord that he's like setting people free from meth, around here when his presence comes right on and um, then this next story I'm still kind of thinking about because last Sunday a woman kind of limped down here from the balcony and she came down to pray at the front And I felt prompted to just put my hand on my shoulder, on her shoulder and pray for her, right? And so I did. And when I did, she like fell backwards. And I'm like, what the heck, dude? You know, I'm glad we were there to catch her, you know? And so we caught her, but we're not like some Pentecostal church where we're smacking people on the foreheads and trying to knock them back and make them think God did something like that. You know, I just barely gently just touched her, you know, and then she falls back. And look, I don't know if she was like, predisposed to that in a religious background. And, you know, she like, may that happen? Or if it, you know, but I tend to think that maybe God was doing something in her life. And after the service, you know, somebody's talked to her and she was like, man, God was just really ministering to me. And I was having a spiritual encounter with God that was significant. And I'll tell you, these people, the things that they had in common are not only that they had an encounter with the Lord in some way, but both of the people I just told you about are what many in America would call under-resourced for the poor. And what I want you to understand is that it shouldn't surprise us that when a movement of a God comes, it hits the poor. Look at a kingdom manifestation in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. See. So God moves in the poor. And Friday night, some of you came here to serve at our community karaoke event that was for our street friends, and that was an that was an amazing event and a lot of fun. And one of the things that really touched my heart was I was sitting right back there and I was just eating with some guys that you know were living on the streets and we were hanging out talking and people were singing their karaoke songs. And oh, this is one man that came up and he sang. And after his song, you know, everybody's like applauding him for his courage to get up and sing in front of everyone. He sang his song and I'll never forget his face because he was just, I wish I would have captured a picture of it because you could tell that that was a face that hadn't received any encouragement in a long time. And all of a sudden he's sitting here being encouraged by a group of people and his face was like overwhelmed and he didn't know what to do with it. He shook his head and got down from the stage and it, Touched me to know that you guys are a people that welcome everyone into our space in order to have encounters of encouragement that come, I believe, from the Lord. So um, what we're going to look at today is a question of whether or not our helping is hurting or if it's really helping. Let me show you what I mean by that in some articles. I saw this article some years ago, and it was entitled Best Intentions When Disaster Relief Brings Anything But Relief. And it was a collaboration between NPR and CBS News. And what they talked about was when there was a disaster in Honduras, the rescue plane uh, that was bringing in supplies, from the hurricane, uh, it could not land on the runway because people had donated so many used clothes they were piled up on the runway. So were those used clothes helping or hurting? Here's another story from some years ago. You remember the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting? Well, these students had gone through the trauma of a school shooting and people wanted to help out. And so they mailed in teddy bears. The school actually had to rent a warehouse to hold the 67,000 teddy bears that the students couldn't possibly keep, use, um, and help. So in that case, were the teddy bears helping or hurting? You, You know. Let me show you one more. This is a picture from Haiti when they went through a natural disaster, an earthquake, and there were piles of clothes from well-meaning donations rotting on the landscape. Were those used clothes helping or hurting? You know. So I'm trying to shape our thinking today and ask ourselves the question, when we try to help, let's ask the question, is my helping hurting? Turn to someone next to you and and speak that out loud with me when when I say it out loud. Ready? Here we go. Is my helping hurting? Is my helping hurting? And uh, today, uh, we're going to show you some ways to to really help. But before we do, I saw this bit by this Christian comedian that I thought really captured part of what we're trying to get at today. His name is John uh, Christ. Take a look at his expression of an honest mission trip leader. Take a look.
1: All right, first things first. I'm gonna need everyone to wear this awful neon-colored T-shirt everywhere we go, because what's the point of serving in a third world country if people in America don't know we're doing it? We do not have time to help that lady with her bags, okay? The mission doesn't start until we get to the country. Does everyone have their passport? We are splitting up, guys and girls. Y'all cannot sit together on an overnight flight. Absolutely not. Does anyone in this group speak any Spanish at all? Nobody. Okay, perfect. Day one is gonna be a rest day, okay? We need our rest. Day two is gonna be a shopping day, All right, Your grandparents and aunts and uncles have paid a lot of money for you to come down here. What better way to say thank you than some crocodile earrings. No, you cannot buy a Jimbei. How are you gonna get that home? Day three is a Sunday. We're gonna go to church, all right? This is a super amazing church we're going to. But we're not going to understand anything because it's going to be in a different language. Does everyone have their passport? Day four, you guys, is when we really get down to business. We're going to paint a school. Are there skilled painters in that country that could probably do a better job than us? Yes, there are. Does this country have high unemployment and they could probably use the work? Again, also true. Was this school painted last week by the mission team that came before us? Again, yes. But that's not important, okay? We're going to paint the school and we're going to get some photos to send back to the church. I swear, if one more person loses their passport... Listen, guys, I understand things are going to be difficult. We're going to get tired, but we must never waver from our goal to get photos with minority children for our Facebook profiles.
0: So, we're kind of laughing and it's kind of tragic, right? Because the thing is, the reason that's kind of funny is that... We've all seen that, and that's what we're trying to avoid. We want to do something. We don't want to paint the wall on the place, you know, when it got painted last week by the last group. We want our helping to really help, and today I want to show you five ways or concepts or principles or ideas or thoughts about how we can help without hurting, and the first thing is this. We want to welcome the poor into the presence of God. We know that God's presence is always near to the poor. Go with me to Psalm chapter 109, verse 30. But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. But I think what we all understand here is that all of us have to submit our hearts to the Lord. And so sometimes you may have a lot of money, but need to be poor in spirit to recognize your need before God in all people whether rich middle class or poor when we encounter the lord something gets lifted so go with me to the new testament now 2 corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 paul says but whenever someone turns to the lord the veil is taken away For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And certainly throughout this message, I'm gonna show us some practical ways or some ways of thinking that will actually help Other people who are in need. But that said, I can tell you that there are a lot of people roaming the streets of San Antonio who are under resourced and struggling and the like, who have a lot of services at their disposal because San Antonio, quite frankly, is a really good city to be homeless in. There's a lot of services and goods offered for folks that are homeless or struggling or under resourced. And look, we're all for all of those resources. We actually put money and time into resources like sheltering people, and like you know, job training, and like you know, mental and emotional health services. Those things are very important. But what I want you to understand is that what we have here, when the presence of God is among us, is what changes people for good. This building is not magical. God doesn't live here. But God, by his spirit, lives in us, those who are his kids. And when we gather together and come here, God is present with us. And that is what changes people. A moment, a nanosecond in the presence of God can do more to change a person than a 100 years worth of humanitarian aid. So the presence of God is by far the most important part of the equation. And that is why all of us have to protect our environment so that our friends who are living on the streets or the working poor, which is, you know, a lot of us or whoever can feel welcome to come in here and be a part and encounter the presence of the Lord. When I was a younger guy, uh, I had these friends of mine and we, decided to start doing homeless ministry. We didn't know what we were doing. We just drove into the downtown area of the city where we grew up, and we started meeting people on the streets and talking to them and trying to meet needs. And we met this one guy one night, and I asked for his name. I said, hey, what's your name? And he said, my name is Sherman Left Hand, okay? And he was a little bit drunk, and so uh, I I guess his middle name was Left, and his last name was Hand. First name was Sherman. I said, Sherman, let's go to Denny's. And we took him to Denny's, and we got him dinner, and drank some coffee, and he was sobering up, and he got in the car with us, and we drove out to the suburbs where I lived at the time. You know, I lived with my parents at that time. He was a young dude, and I kind of crashed my parents' bridge party. They were playing bridge, you know, that card game, you know, with their friends, and in walked Sherman into the house. That was kind of fun, kind of awkward at the same time. So then we got back out in the car, and we drove by where our church was out there in that suburban environment, and we said, Sherman, look, um, on Sunday, what we'll do is we'll come downtown and we'll pick you up and we'll take you to the church. And so, you know, we've got some clothes and if you, you know, if you, we'll get you some clothes where you can wear it to the church and all that, cause that was one of the churches, you know, maybe you've been to that church where you really need to be dressed up to go to church and everything like that. And, uh, when he, by this time he was a little sobered, and he said, and he kind of put his head down almost in shame. And he said, I, I can't go in there. I can't go to a place like that. And you know what's going on there. And I've always remembered that. And I thought, you know, if I ever have any say at a church, it needs to be a place where Sherman can come in. See? And so it doesn't matter whether you're wearing a tuxedo or a T-shirt, you can come in here. You probably feel more out of place in the tuxedo, quite frankly, in our environment here. But will you guys help me maintain an environment where everyone feels comfortable to be a part Because it's so significant, people can come in here and encounter him in his presence. So number one is we want to, you know, encounter, bring people into the presence of God. But number two is we want to ask qualified people what is needed. Now, the scriptures teach us that, you know, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so when you want to help, it never hurts to ask someone who knows a lot about giving aid and help. And so some of you remember a few years ago, when in Houston got, got hit by that big hurricane. And man, Houston was a mess. And a lot of well-meaning Texans were filling up the backs of their pickup trucks with supplies and driving over to Houston to help people out. And you know what? I applaud that because people, man, they got big hearts and they want to help. And I think that's good. And so what we chose to do, we didn't really know what to do. So we asked people who uh, were qualified relief organizations what was really needed. And they told us something that wasn't even on our radar. They said the blood banks there are struggling to keep up because they did without power for a while. Some of their blood went bad, um, You know, no electricity and all of that affected them. So they challenged us to give blood. So we partnered with the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center, and they gave you guys a goal to raise 23 units of blood. And you know what you guys did? Instead of 23 units of blood, you guys gave 68 units of blood. That's pretty awesome, City Tribe. You guys are all right. So check this out. You guys giving that blood saved what they told us. You guys saved 200 lives. With that blood. And here's what I want to assure you of. The 200 lives that you saved through blood donations, those people are thanking God that you didn't pile up used clothes in their front yards in Houston. You follow me? You get what I'm talking about? No? Yeah. So... A great book that helps us to be wise in the way that we serve others is when helping hurts. And this book describes three phases of helping people. And so the first phase is relief. That's the urgent and temporary situation requiring emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering from the crisis. So that's as soon as the crisis hits, you know, you want to bring relief, you know, waters and all kinds of supplies. And then number two is rehabilitation. That begins as soon as the bleeding stops and seeks to restore the positive parts of the pre crisis condition. Number three is going to be development, and that's the process of ongoing change. And so a quote from the book is where the author says, one of the biggest mistakes the North American churches make by far is applying relief in situations in which rehabilitation or development is the appropriate intervention. He goes on to say, moreover, the entire goal of development work is for local people to take charge of their individual lives and communities. He said they need help, Give it if they do not, your giving may do more harm. so here 's how we had to kind of take our own medicine a few years ago here at the church is that we helped out in western Africa, in a country, Liberia, there. They'd gone through a brutal civil war there and they were reeling and others who were very qualified came in immediately after the war and tried to help. And so our role was more rehabilitation as well as development. So when we went over, uh, we had a guy named Don we called him Aquadon. And the reason we called him Aquadon was he's really good at water wells. And so Don, you know, was a part of, you know, we installed some water wells, different communities. And then the water wells, if you know anything about water wells, they break down. And so you have to repair them. And you have to have people that know what they're doing to repair them. So Don would go over and he would repair along with our volunteers, repair these water wells in these West African communities. But what we realized was, hey, man, we got this American spending $3,000 to travel all way over to Liberia, we could take that same money and employ a totally capable, smart Liberian to repair the water wells. And so that's what we did, see? Because we wanted to move from doing something for someone to letting them do for themselves, see? And our church wanted to invest in the rehabilitation and development of the homeless community, particularly families with children that needed a place to stay. And so some years ago, we started partnering with Jim Gibson. Um, we wanted to bring you a brief video from Jim kind of explaining a bit about Strong Foundation. and some advice for us if we want to help. Take a look on screen.
2: Hi, I'm Jim Gibson. I'm with Strong Foundation Ministries here in San Antonio, Texas. And at Strong Foundation, what we do is we help homeless families with kids. And our hope is that while they're at the ministry, they'll give God a chance to do whatever it is that he really wants to do. Something I always share with folks is the strong foundation we all need in life is in fact, a relationship with Jesus. We've actually served 986 families. 986 families have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus to have the opportunity to get back on their feet and have a changed life in and through him. And you know, there's lots of things that we can do that help people in the moment. I'm really into things that are gonna lead people to God. I would suggest that whatever we do, some way, somehow, we try to bring the Lord into uh, into the mix because without Jesus, it's a good thing, but is it a God thing? There's a difference in, God things, if it's a God thing, it's always a good thing. And so I would really encourage you as you go out, if you feel led to uh, feed folks on the street, that somewhere, somehow you put a plug in for the Lord, offer up a prayer, invite them to church. Um, Yes, they have a, a, a need in the moment, they're hungry. Maybe it's cold and you're gonna give them a coat or a blanket. There again, offer up a prayer, maybe share uh, with them that that they matter to God because we all matter to God. We really appreciate the partnership that um, we have with you guys here at City Tribe. Pastor Doug and I have known each other going back to when he was a youth pastor out at City Church. And um, we're good friends and you guys are an awesome blessing. We so appreciate everything that you guys do for us. Thank you so much.
0: And you know, when you guys donate here, a lot of you who support this ministry, we take a percentage of that to help out and to help fund Strong Foundation. So Jim's right outside at a table today. If you want to go out and just get to know him and say, hey, thank you for what he's doing or ask any questions about Strong Foundation, by all means, do that. But one of the things that he would tell you to do is to avoid paternalism. And that's number three. When we're trying to help without hurting, we want to avoid paternalism. Now, if that's not language you're familiar with, paternalism basically means, in other words, you're trying to be someone's mama and wipe their nose and other parts of their body for them that they can wipe on their own. You follow me? And typically, the reason people practice paternalism is that we think we're superior to other people when the reality is we're not. And we have to humble ourselves and allow people to take care of their problems. So um, here's one way to say it. The book, uh, When Helping Hurts, says, Do not do things for people that they can do for themselves. Here's how Paul said it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Here's how Jim Gibson says it. We give people a hand up, not a hand out. And I've heard other people say it like this. You can either give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. And most of the things that we're doing here, we're really trying to teach people to fish for themselves. No doubt there's a time to give handouts when there's an emergency or a a struggle. Um, But I would agree with one of Jim's rules at Strong Foundation. If I've heard him say this once, I've heard him say it a hundred times. He says, if you're gonna live at Strong Foundation, you're either working or looking for work. And if you don't have a job, your full-time job is to find a job. (laughs) So he helps people to do that and people's lives really really change right and so let me take you to number four with all these boundaries in place and all these other three principles in place err on the side of generosity and here's the reason that i bring that up is because man what you know i've been serving down here in the inner city in the urban core for a number of years now and my tendency is to put in boundaries and for my heart to get hard you know what i mean by that i just think everyone's a scammer and i don't help anyone And I really have to watch out for that. Um, I say you're not supposed to give money to people in the streets, and I don't always get that right. Because sometimes it's easy to give money, isn't it? And think you've done something. Um, I'll tell you a time I got it wrong, is that I was walking out of the back door of the theater here, and this guy says, hey, can you give me a couple of bucks? Man, I'm really hungry. And so I didn't have time to, you know, take him to a restaurant or do anything like that. So I threw him a couple of bucks. And I thought, you know, like Jim said, I'll I'll just let him know we have a church service here. I don't want to be too, like, pushy. But I said, hey, you know, here's a couple of bucks. And, you know, we have church services here on Sundays, City Tribe Church. And he goes, oh, man, I recognize you. You're that pastor of City Tribe Church. I've been coming over there for years and drinking your free coffee. Oh, man, pastor, I feel bad now. I was going to go buy beer with that money. But um, (laughs) here, take your money back, pastor. Said, no, just keep it and feel the guilt. <laughs> so I don't always get it right. But I'll tell you this when I stand before the Lord someday, maybe He'll say, hey, you got scammed a couple of times, but a couple of times you actually met me in one of my distressing disguises. See? So I'd rather err on the side of generosity and try the best I can to have a soft heart. So can I do a brief recap for you of what we've talked about so far? Let's go back to number one. We welcome the poor into the presence of God. We ask qualified people how to help. We avoid paternalism. Number four, we're gonna err on the side of generosity and keep soft hearts. And here's number five. Instead of handing out food, have a meal together. Now, some of you were here last week, and I have to get some of you caught up to speed because you don't come to church every week. You're at the rodeo partying or whatever, right? So anyways, let me just give you in a nutshell what we talked about last week is that we looked at Isaiah, how Isaiah says that the kingdom is like a great feast. And he said, you can come and eat the finest cuts of meat and the finest wine in the kingdom. And and Isaiah says, even if you have no money, come eat and drink for free. And we compared the kingdom feast to one of those Brazilian steakhouses. Remember, churrascaria, (laughs) right? So that's the kingdom feast in a meal together. And I was reminded of this a few years ago. And I was talking to some of our staff, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And they said, oh, you have to tell that story. I said, I tell this story all the time. And they said, no, you got to tell it again. So one day I went to Strong Foundation to help serve. And I spent the night there in one of the rooms. Jim and I were going out on the streets around Strong Foundation, interviewing people on camera and just talking to people, ministering to people. And what you got to understand is this before the east side was gentrified like it is now, right? I mean, everybody takes care of their lawns now. Back in those days, we called the intersection of Hackberry and Houston, we call it Crackberry back in those days, okay? It was crazy over there back in the mid-2000s, you know? So we're walking around, we're talking to people, and we met this guy, Shorty. His name's Shorty. And just say he was a bit of a pharmaceutical sales guy. And he had this friend with him. And Shorty's friend always agreed with Shorty. Whatever Shorty said, he agreed. Right? It's a funny situation. And so, Shorty was upset because we were kind of messing up business on his corner, if you know what I mean, because we were out there with cameras and, you know, talking to people and all this kind of stuff. He says, what are you doing over here on the east side, my, on my corner, you know? And his friend's all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, what's going on here? He said, get those cameras and all that stuff out of here. On the, you're in you're my territory. Get out of here. And his friend's all, yeah. And... Then Jim is a tall guy. If you go out there, he's like six seven. He's a big old dude, and so he kind of towers over Shorty. Shorty's he got that name for a reason, right? <laughs> and Jim's all, we "Will not back down. This is God's block." And Shorty's, all, "I'll kick your blankety blank. Get off my car." And his friends all, "Yeah." <laughs> and I thought, men. These dudes are fixing to throw down if, we, if something, we, we don't get some peace here. I said, hey, hey, it's okay. I said, hey, Shorty. She said, would you and your friend want to come over to Strong Foundation with us and have dinner tonight? And he went from ready to throw down to, he goes, you know, I think I'd like that. <laughs> and his friend's all, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we went back to Strong Foundation. We went in and Jim had this delicious barbecue chicken. He had like brisket. He had, you know, sausage and everything. And we just had a wonderful meal together. Now, what Jim told me later on was that, you know, the ladies that lived at Strong Foundation were afraid in those days to walk from the ministry over to the bus stop. It's kind of dangerous in the neighborhood at that time. And Jim told me later that Shorty and his friend started escorting women from the ministry over the bus stop so that they didn't feel afraid, feel fear anymore, making that little walk. Because of the power of kinship, not handing out meals, but having meals together. Because when we sit at the table, we're equals. See, we're equals. And the kingdom is a meal. Together, all of us, and you know, Americans talk about poverty as lack of material possessions. But in the research I've done and my experience over time, the poor actually talk about poverty in different terms. The poor don't talk about poverty in terms of lack of material possession. They, they talk about shame, humiliation, hopelessness, and voicelessness. So the gospel is spiritual and poverty is a mindset and a spiritual thing, not just a material thing. This is why Jesus said in one passage when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor. And then in Matthew, he uses the language, blessed are the poor in spirit because those two things go together. Poverty is not what you have here. Poverty is something you have here or here. See, and when you come to know Jesus, look, even if you have a lot of money by the world's standards, you can be poor in spirit. And when you come to receive the gospel, you're changed by him and receive the bread of life, which is him. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, you know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became what? Poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. And all of us, no matter our income level, we come to him poor in spirit as the beggars who find the bread in him. The bread is not a substance or a food. It's a person, Jesus. When you came in today, perhaps you received a little communion Kids, could you pull those out if you have those with you? And by the, by the way, if you don't believe in all this, don't feel pressured to have to take communion because they gave you the little kit. You can just leave it there if you don't want to do it. But those of us that believe, I want to ask you to open the top part. There are two compartments there. The top part has a little tab that you pull off and it contains a little wafer. Take out that little wafer and go ahead and put that wafer, which is... The bread in your mouth and eat it. And Jesus says, every time you do this, remember me. Don't take me for granted. Remember me that my body was broken for you so that you could go from spiritual poverty to spiritual riches. And now, the second half of your communion kit, peel it gently open because it contains the juice. represents his blood. Go ahead and drink that down now. And he says, as often as you drink that juice, remember me. Don't take me for granted. My body was broken and my blood was spilled, which is represented by the cup. And in your heart and mind today, if you're a Christ follower, maybe you would want to just say to him, hey, Jesus, in your own mind, Today, I'm just reminded, I don't want to forget. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be spilled on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And here's a challenge to those of you that have not yet had a relationship with God. Maybe he brought you here for your first communion. Have you ever heard someone say first communion? What they mean is when they're a little kid, you know, and they could take it for the first time. What I mean by first communion is your first real communion where you believe it. Not your mom and dad believe it, you believe it. Where you're making the choice to say, hey, I'm taking the blood and body of Jesus myself because I believe it. And so as we bow in prayer before the Lord, I want you to talk to God if you have never known him and never had a love relationship with him. And look, before we talk to him, you got to know there's no magic prayer that gets you across the line of faith, if you will. But I do believe in prayer and talking to God and defining the relationship. You ever done that with someone else? DTR, define the relationship? Well, maybe you want to do that with God right now and just tell him, hey, look, God, I know I've sinned. But today is the day that I'm making a choice. And I want to remember this day because I'm choosing to believe that your body was broken and blood was spilled on that cross to pay the penalty for my sins. So I ask for your forgiveness. I choose to believe you rose again from the dead to give me new life. And I'm submitting my life to you now. And I want to follow you and obey you and live for you and submit to your Lordship. Thank you for the gift that you've given me. And God, we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone says, Amen. Amen. Anybody want to thank the Lord for how good He's been to us today? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And so next week, um, I'm going to talk about why so many have gone to the Asbury revival. Like uh, one report said, the first 12 days it started going, uh, there were over 100,000 people that went in and out of this little bitty town of like you know a little over a thousand people. So pretty significant movement has been happening and it's been spreading to Many other colleges and universities around this country, sweeping across this country. So we'll explore that next Sunday. Um, I do want to say a brief word about our offering today. If you're a guest or new to church or whatever, you know, we we don't want you to feel awkward during the money part of it or the financial stewardship. Um, But there are four ways to give an offering tithe or whatever here at City Tribe Church um, by mail, texting, the website or just the giving stations. And those of you that are regulars here, uh, I just want us to pray together because um, we're a little bit behind where we're supposed to be at this time of the year. And so I don't want to like, I don't think the right solution is to say, you know, we're not being generous enough. I think the right solution is that those of us that are a part of it here, that we just go to the Lord and we pray and we ask for his help. So let's do that right now, okay? So let's pray for our offering. God, we ask for your help. And obviously, you know, uh, as a pastor, I want our people to be blessed. And, you know, uh, I want you to bless them with, you know, resources and all that kind of stuff. And um, we pray for our financial need here at the church. And we just proclaim that we trust you the best we know how. We trust you to provide for all the needs of this church. And thank you that you're gonna give us everything we need to serve as many people as you have us to serve, um, you know, in your timing as we seek you first. So thank you for what you're gonna do. And we ask for your help here and now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. So before you guys worship through your generosity and stewardship, let's stand up together and put your hands out in a position to receive if you'd be willing to do that. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, walk in humility, not paternalism, knowing that others, have the power to meet many of their needs as they trust in God. Go from here, empowering others with the power of the spirit, the presence of God in you that spreads to others. Go from here, knowing when helping hurts and go from here, knowing how to help with love, inviting others to the feast of the kingdom, the shuhaskaria, So go from here enjoying kinship and meals and love. You guys have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.